0: And so um, on the way out later you can um, just give him a word of encouragement and let him know that you'll be praying for him and uh, make sure you, you write his name down in your prayer journals and and um, hopefully we'll be able to send out some updates um, as he goes along in, in the program there at the Colony of Mercy. Um, so this brings me to to the point in our, our service where we normally would have our, our sermon where we take a passage of scripture like we're going through Acts or some particular topic and kind of expound upon that and and come to some kind of application. Well, what I wanted to do uh, was for the third part in our series of A New Year's Revolution is uh, if you kind of noticed in your your bulletin the title of the the sermon, it's uh, the the whole Bible in thirty minutes. And so yeah, wow, right? That's after I actually put it out there, uh, you know, in uh, on paper. I was like, oh man, there's no going back. And so here's why we're going to do this. So it's going to be a different, unique. Um, but what I wanted to do was, uh, as a great way to kind of to kick off the new year, and even for us to get back into Acts ne- uh, next week, a great segue, is to, to remind all of us about the grand story of Scripture, about how from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, it is an amazing story filled with so many great characters and these are all real people that lived in a real time we believe that all this is true and actually did happen but it's an amazing story some people have called it a love letter to god's people but you know the bible is so um so full of so many different kinds of of writings you know it's actually a book of books there's books there's books of uh, wisdom there's books of poetry there's letters that were written there's um history Right, um, there's genealogies. There's so much in there. There's songs and the Psalms. And so, what I wanted to do was uh, in 30 minutes, and I would ask that you wouldn't time me because if the only thing you get from today that I did it in 32 minutes, then that would be that would be sad if that's all that you you're left with for today. So I would ask that you, you put your stopwatches away on your smartphones. And um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do it um, in two sections. All right. So first what I want to do is kind of just have um, the opportunity to just share the story in story form from beginning to end, the story of God. And then what I want to do is I want to show you something, that's, it's 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 a little unique, it is um, it is common and it's something that, that you can find uh, very easily, but it's a way to kind of uh, systematize and order the smaller parts of God's story to help us understand the bigger picture, Okay, so we're going to do it in, in two sections. So what I'm going to do now is just ask that you would listen. Okay, there won't be any scripture up on the screen. And uh, I'm just going to go through the story of the Bible. All right? So just kind of listen through. And of course, um, it's not going to have every single detail. This is not chapter and verse. But I'm going to go through this as a story. Maybe as if you went to see a play. And there were different acts in the play. And uh, you kind of start with the, the prelude and there's things that are happening and, and, and suspense is building. And then there's always a, a climax to the story after there's some tension, right? And, and then hopefully everything is resolved. And so that's the way we kind of see the story of Scripture. And somebody had asked me, and they said earlier in the week, how are you going to preach the whole Bible in, uh, in 30 minutes? I'm just going to talk real fast. Um, but I won't, I won't. So here is the story... Of God. In the beginning was God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He had always existed, but now He spoke into being all that we know first the angels, then the heavens, the earth, and all they contain. Then He created man and woman in His own image, the first being Adam and Eve. And they lived in perfect harmony, in a perfect place. That God had created for them it was a garden called Eden one of the angels that God had created perhaps the most magnificent of them all had rebelled against God in his pride wanting to be greater than God and not his servant and one day this angel Satan tempted Adam and Eve to do the same thing and they did rebel against God by disobeying the one rule that He had given them. In their sinful disobedience to their Creator, they became separated from Him, banished from the garden, and now subjected to decay, destruction, and death, physically and spiritually. But God did not give up on them. In the midst of pain and toil and hardship and death, there was also the promise of redemption. So sin spread in the world and it became so severe that in His righteous anger, God judges the world and He sends a flood, destroying all living things, but mercifully saves Noah and his family, eight of them. Sadly, things don't improve, and through Noah and his family, sin takes root once again. God commands the people to multiply and spread out over the earth, but in their rebellion, they do just the opposite. And they build for themselves a tower at a place called Babel to reach into the sky trying to prove their independence from God. So again, God judges, confusing their languages, thus forcing the people to scatter and create many nations and cultures And his will was done. God then chooses one man named Abraham to leave his home and go to a new land that God would show him. God makes an unconditional covenant with Abraham, including a land for his people and a blessing for the whole world through his descendants. It's a promise that sets the stage for all of the events in the rest of the story. So we learn of God's relationship with Abraham and his son Isaac and his son Jacob, then one of his sons Joseph. And this is the rise of the Jewish people as a race. So through Joseph, the whole extended family of Jacob, also called Israel, about 70 or so, they end up in Egypt. And all is well for about 400 years until their story is forgotten. And the new Pharaoh sees the Jews, now from 70 over a million strong, as a threat. And he makes them slaves. That is the book of Genesis. Enter Moses in the book of Exodus. Born a Jew but raised as a son of Pharaoh, They called uh, then called by God to set his people free. Through the ten plagues, the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, the parting of the Red Sea, and the destruction of Pharaoh's army, they are set free. God uses Moses to lead his people towards that land of promise. God gives them ten commandments. Law. Laws of holiness and worship. A conditional covenant, this time, where obedience would lead to blessing And disobedience to a curse. But again, in sin and rebellion, they follow false gods. Their disobedience and their lack of trust in God lead them to wander in the desert for 40 years. And it keeps that generation, including their leader Moses, from entering that land of promise. That is the book of Exodus. Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy expound upon the laws, the plans for when they get into the promised land, and it's a reminder for uh, Israel from Moses to follow God. And then enters the story Joshua, the new leader. He leads the Jews in conquering the land of Canaan, the land promised them by God. Their relationship with God continues to be tenuous, however, because of their sin so they fall into disobedience they cry out to god for help and he provides for them a leader a judge to save and provide they are humbled and penitent for a time but the cycle begins again blessing disobedience judgment repentance mercy blessing and then disobedience And again and again, the cycle continues. So the people decide what they really need is a king, not a judge. So God uses the last great judge, Samuel, to appoint over them a king named Saul. And that was Joshua, Judges, and Ruth. Saul starts off well, but people wanted him to. See, for the wrong reasons, they wanted to be like the pagan nations around them, and Saul follows suit. He becomes angry, a paranoid leader even to be barbaric, and eventually he is killed along with his son, and there's no dynasty for King Saul. God then appoints a new king, a man after his own heart. His name is David, a young man, a a giant killer who rules the 12 tribes for about 40 years. Jerusalem is now considered the city of David. A line of Davidic kingship begins here. The tabernacle, which had been mobile, now moves to its permanent residence in the temple in Jerusalem, a permanent place of worship. David's son Solomon builds that temple. But under Solomon's son Rehoboam, the nation becomes divided. And due to a series of bad kings and increased idol worship, both kingdoms eventually end up in exile. The north taken by Assyria, the south in exile in Babylon under the dreaded king Nebuchadnezzar. That was the books of Samuel and Kings and Chronicles. In Ezra through Malachi, including Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, God, we see, sends prophets to His people before and after the exiles to call His people to repentance and back to Him. A remnant returns to Jerusalem from the exile. The city is rebuilt. The temple is rebuilt. And once again, Israel has a national identity. And there ends the Old Testament. And then... Silence. For 400 years, no word from God. During that time, the Jewish people are under rule of various empires. It was the Assyrians that gave way to the Babylonians. Then came the Persians, who gave way to the Greeks, and eventually to the Romans and their great empire. Then enters Jesus, born in Bethlehem, the promised Descendant of Abraham and David to fulfill God's plan to redeem the world and restore creation. Jesus is born under this Roman occupation. He was born of a virgin. He taught repentance and a new kingdom. He taught the gospel, the good news of hope and forgiveness, deliverance in this world and life eternal in Him. Jesus, you see, was obedient to His heavenly Father And he accomplished exactly what he set out to do. Jesus is crucified under Pontius Pilate, buried, and on the third day he rose back to life in body and spirit, resurrected to defeat death and deliver the hope of eternal life. He appeared to his apostles and then 500 more people. And after 40 days he ascended to heaven, he establishes his church Giving it the Holy Spirit to empower and guide as it would continue his mission on earth until he would return for his blessed bride. So the church grows among the Jews first and the Gentiles in Jerusalem, then Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And this is where we enter the story. See, we are the church. We follow Christ's example by living and sharing that same gospel, the good news of forgiveness of sins, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We are called to be salt and light to a lost and hurting world, remaining obedient and trusting in the Lord until He returns. But the story does not end there. For we have been given the end of the story. When the true church is one day removed from this earth, when Jesus returns to collect us, God will finish then His discipline of His chosen people Israel and finalize His judgment of the unbelieving world during what's called the tribulation time, when the Antichrist assumes power. At the end of the seven-year tribulation, the Antichrist will launch a final attack on Jerusalem, Culminating in the battle of Armageddon, Jesus Christ will return, destroy the Antichrist and his armies, and cast them into a lake of fire. Christ will then bind Satan in the abyss for 1,000 years, and for that 1,000 years, Christ will rule in his earthly kingdom. At the end of those 1,000 years, Satan will be released, attempt one last attack, be defeated again finally, and then cast into the lake of fire for all eternity. Christ will then usher in a new heaven and a new earth, and a new Jerusalem, a place for eternal worship, the eternal dwelling place of God and his believers. There will be no more sin, no more sorrow, and no more death. The end. Is that an amazing story? We praise God for his story, right? What an amazing story. And I know some of you are thinking, man, that was even less than 30 minutes. Let's go and get out of here. But here's what I would like to do. You know, it's often uh, um, very helpful, as I said earlier, to kind of take a look at a big grand story, like the story of God that we just heard, and to kind of put it in some kind of order to help us understand the smaller parts, so we can see even better and have a deeper understanding of the larger story. And so there's there's various ways to do that uh, to look at um, to look at the the story of God. And you know many um, many of our brothers and sisters they they break it down into two covenants. You know there's lots of covenants that we see in the Bible, and and you know there's two general covenants: the covenant of grace and the covenant of works. First you had the covenant meaning the agreement of works and then comes the covenant of grace. So kind of with the ideas with Adam and Eve was the covenant of works. There was this idea of obedience led to blessing, right? And disobedience led to curse. We even see that revisited with the Mosaic law and the Jews needed to keep the law in order to remain blessed by God. But then of course when men fail... To keep the law, all 613 of them, God in his graciousness enters in with a plan of redemption that he had from the beginning with Adam and Eve, and it culminates with the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, and we now see that we are in a time of grace, a covenant of grace, and that again Christ will return. We would all agree upon that. But I would say that there's a also another common way to clearly organize and kind of see the story of God unfold, as we just read it, a progression of how God chooses to govern and relate to his people. And uh, so you can put up the first slide there. You're going to see just in general how this kind of works. You're going to see similar frameworks. If you just, you looked online, it's readily available, similar structures and Got them from many different sources. I've used the works of Charles Ryrie, whose book we're using in our theology class. Uh, D.A. Carson, Dr. Arnold Fruchtenbaum, and many others. You'll see different versions of this same framework. All right? So I kind of compiled, all the, compiled it all together and kind of simplified it just for our purposes here this morning. But here's what you're going to see. Okay, We're going to see this happen seven different times. Now, these aren't necessarily um, seven... Segments that are given in Scripture, but as we read Scripture, we can easily see how this might help us to kind of break down the story and see the flow to its natural conclusion that we see in Revelation. All right, and so these um, these seven different groupings, right, have been called uh, different names, but for our purposes this morning, we have innocence, and this is at the very beginning of the story, and then conscience and government promise, law, grace, and millennium, you'll see how they flow together. But within each of these, there is a recurring pattern, and it's very helpful to see how through the whole story that I just read, there was this recurring pattern. So I'm gonna, I think it's going to kind of come to life even more. And this pattern is this. God gives his people a responsibility in his relationship with them. There is a test for this responsibility, But time and again, God's people ultimately fail the test. So there has to be judgment. But then we know that God is merciful and gracious. So after judgment, there is always an opportunity for grace and to move on. So in the first one we're going to see, in innocence, what's called innocence, that covers Genesis 1 through uh, most of uh, the beginning of Genesis um, 3. This is the story, the beginning of Adam and Eve. The responsibility that God gives to Adam and Eve Eve is what's called the Edenic Covenant, or the Edenic Covenant. It is simply to obey God. If you remember from the beginning of the story of God in Genesis, He calls His people to have dominion over the earth, to subdue it, to replenish it, to multiply, to give care for the garden. Remember, they lived in the beautiful Garden of Eden. To care for it. And he gave them one rule. It was just one. He said, don't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Anything else was was up for grabs, but not the fruit from that one tree. So the test was simply obedience like it really always is. It was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the goal was in passing that test that Adam and Eve and their descendants would move from what's called unconfirmed holiness to confirmed, which means it would be confirmed that they are holy and in communion with God. And the ability to sin would have been removed. But of course, as we know the story goes, they failed in their obedience and they were disobedient. They ate of that tree. They were then condemned by sin instead of confirmed in their holiness. So the judgment was curse and death. They were expelled from the garden There was a curse placed on the earth. God told Adam and Eve that they and their descendants would have a hard time now working the land. Earth is kind of now their enemy, not a friend. They've also lost authority and dominion over the earth to Satan the deceiver. There is physical and spiritual death. But God is always gracious And from the very beginning of the story with Adam and Eve, we see there is a promise of redemption. It is called the seed of a woman, that there is a promised redeemer that would one day defeat the enemy and remove the curse. Death would be defeated in the resurrection of the second Adam, who we know to be Jesus Christ our Lord. And at that time, Adam and Eve, in their sin, decided they would try to cover themselves. But God, when He banished them from the Garden of Eden, He made them proper coverings of animal skin. So you see, what happens is they try to atone for their own sin. They try to make up for their own sin, but it is insufficient. They fail. So God provides for them skin of an animal, which means there was a sacrifice and blood was shed from the very beginning of the story to cover their sins. So from the very beginning, God provides redemption through the shedding of blood. The second phase in this flow of God's story is what is often called conscience. That is Genesis 3 through Genesis 8. It's still Adam and Eve. It's still in their story. The responsibility is now moved from the Edenic covenant in the Garden of Eden, but it's now called the Adamic covenant. We see it mostly in Genesis 3. It really is all about faith. That Adam and Eve and their descendants would have faith that God would make good on His promise to send a Redeemer. They didn't know when or how. But he promised the Redeemer, so their simple responsibility was to believe it and have faith. The test was simply obedience. Obedience that they would be willing to choose good over evil in their conscience, and that there was a blood sacrifice in response to their failure. But of course, they failed the test. We see Cain's improper offering that was judged by God. We see Cain killing Abel, and we see widespread evil from the heart of man. The judgment, a worldwide flood. But in God's graciousness, He saved Enoch and took him from the world. He saved Noah and his family. Those things preserved that line of the seed of a woman, that there would one day be a redeemer. And next we move to what we would call human government. In Genesis 9 through 11, we now see the main actor in this play is Noah. And the responsibility is now the Noahic covenant, mainly in Genesis 9. And that covenant is simply to replenish the earth. There is now freedom to eat meat. There's no dietary restrictions. God governs them through human government. So man is responsible to obey their governmental authorities. But they are also responsible to spread out and multiply and populate the earth. So the test was, would they subject themselves to earthly rule? And would they spread out and multiply? Again, the pattern continues and they fail in their test. We see it at the Tower of Babel. The people at the time, instead of spreading out, they did just the opposite. And they built a tower to study the stars to replace God in their lives. They decided to stay together in one place and build an empire. And instead of proper governments, they said, let's build one great empire. We see the story of Nimrod in that section of Scripture See, God wanted to separate the kingdoms, but men tried to keep them together. They tried to replace their own need for God by building a tower to get to the stars. Of course, there has to be judgment, so God confuses the languages. God accomplished His original intent as the people then had to separate and move based on language. Could you imagine the scene at the base of the Tower of Babel... When God confused the languages, and now there's hundreds, maybe thousands of different languages, and nobody understands each other. Ever been to a foreign country? Right? You know what that's like. So probably what happened is, pockets of people, almost like a game, started to try to seek out people that they could understand. And that could understand them. And maybe they had a group of people and said, let's go far from this place, and we'll start our own country and nation. That's what happens. So nations and countries are formed just as God had intended. But even in the judgment, as the pattern proves true once again, there is grace. God preserves a remnant in spite of the flood and in spite of the Tower of Babel. You can see it in the genealogy in Genesis 11. We see, once again, preserved... The promise of redemption. From human government, we move to the promise. Now this is the rest of Genesis all the way through, really the first part of Exodus. And the main player in our story now moves from Noah to Abraham. So the responsibility at this point in the story is now the Abrahamic covenant. And there's there's many facets to the Abrahamic covenant. This covenant is is unconditional, which means, and it's very important, unconditional means that God is solely responsible for keeping the covenant. Do you remember the story when God sealed the covenant with Abraham, he let Abraham fall into a deep sleep, and God moved between the pieces of the animal sacrifice, which was common back then. It means that he was ratifying and solidifying the covenant with Abraham, but Abraham had nothing to do with it. You see that? So God said, I will keep this Abrahamic covenant. I will keep this covenant with you and your people. So the responsibility was simply believe God, take him at his word, that he would keep his promise. So the main test was that they would remain in the land where God had brought them. Remember, God brought Abraham out from a place that he was comfortable with and said, I want you to go to this land that I have for you. And Abraham said, where is it? And God said, never mind that, I'll show you as you go. So of course, the failure really is, in a sense, they had a tendency to leave the places that God had established for them. We see it happen with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. It's said this way, the failure in this dispensation, the failure in this setup, in God's movement and progression, is seen in the tendency to leave the land. Abraham left the land in Genesis 12 and he got himself in a lot of trouble. Isaac was thinking about leaving the land, but God warned him against doing so. Jacob left the land and God has descendants who a lot of trouble in the land of Egypt. So we see their failure was a tendency to walk away from God's blessings and provision. The judgment was bondage in Egypt this time. But again, God was gracious, as He always is. He preserved Israel in the exodus through Moses. And the line of the seed of the woman, the promise of redemption, was preserved. So then we move from promise to the law. This is Exodus 20. And look at where it goes all the way through Acts chapter 2. For the rest of the Old Testament. And now, of course, the main guy in our story is Moses. The responsibility is called the Mosaic Covenant. We've all heard of that. It's the law. Obey the law. This is a conditional covenant obey the law and you'll be blessed disobey there will be judgment and a curse also there's a responsibility to listen to and follow the leading of the prophets that god sends so their test is simply this keep the whole law all 613 laws but breaking just one brings condemnation they were also tested to believe and accept the messiah when he comes when god would send the messiah the people of israel were tested to accept and believe in the one that god would send in addition to keeping the law the failure of course is that they did not and could not keep every law and they then added their own laws god intended that through that they would see their need for a savior and their need for god's intervention But also, they rejected the Messiah when God sent Him in the person of Jesus Christ, His Son. Judgment comes in the year 70. That's 70 A.D. With the destruction of the temple and of Jerusalem, and also what's called the Diaspora, or the dispersion of the people of God from the land He had promised them. But again, there is grace. There is a sacrificial system that God sets up with His people in the Mosaic Covenant. It's a system to allow for forgiveness when they fail to keep the law. But it's a system that's supposed to point them back to God. God also in this this time provides judges and kings and prophets as we saw in the unfolding of His story. Then we get To our part of the story it is the part of the story called grace from acts chapter 2 all the way through revelation 20 and the main person here in the whole story besides of course jesus christ is really the apostle paul and his teachings the responsibility is now called the new covenant it's no longer the mosaic covenant and keeping the law It is a new covenant that Jesus says that He brings a new covenant in His blood sacrifice to cover sins. you remember way back with Adam and Eve at the beginning of the story? How God covered their sins before He banished them from the garden? It was through a blood sacrifice. And Jesus comes as the true Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. What is the test? The test still remains for us. Will man accept the gift of salvation the failure we see it around us and we see it in the future unfortunately the story of scripture tells us that most people will reject that gift and the church will even begin to turn from the truth of the gospel judgment will be what's called the tribulation but grace for us will be what we call the rapture of the church, which can happen at any moment. No more signs need to happen. Christ will return and descend, and we will meet with Him in the clouds. The dead in Christ will rise first. We will join them. We will join with our loved ones, receive our glorified bodies. Hallelujah, no more of these bodies that we have. Amen. That's the biggest amen I got all morning. And then what we see is the ending of the story. The millennial kingdom we get the word from revelation and this is revelation 20 4 to 10 specifically and who is the main player it is of course jesus the messiah the responsibility is still the new covenant continued from the time of grace and it is also the responsibility of people to be obedient to the king because jesus will be ruling on earth on his throne physically ruling for a thousand years. And so the test will still be, accept the gospel, salvation in Christ, and Jesus as Lord sitting on His throne. But once again, one final time, the pattern holds true. There is failure. Many will still reject the gift of the Messiah. Unfathomable, isn't it? That as Christ sitting on His throne in Jerusalem that people will still reject Him. You see, because in the death and resurrection of Christ, the penalty and ramification for sin has been abolished, that we no longer have to fear death and separation from God. We have eternal life. But the effects of sin are still felt. Because it is not until the story concludes that Christ finally does away with all the consequences of sin. And so the failure is that it leads to Satan deceiving men one last time. It ends with that battle of Armageddon that I mentioned and the final judgment of Satan. And judgment is this, it comes swift and it comes clear. It's the destruction of the armies of men and the destruction of Satan in his last gasp attempt for control and power and glory. But graciousness prevails one last time. All unfulfilled prophecies and promises of God are fulfilled in the millennium kingdom to His people. It's a period of prosperity for nations. Creation is restored. And the saints, that's me and you, get to rule with Christ. How awesome is that? I'd like to end this by having you look at one passage of Scripture. It's in Luke twenty four thirteen to 27. It'll be up on the screen for you. And you'll see why after I read it, why it is that I chose to end with this. It's that familiar story of Jesus on the road to Emmaus. You've probably heard it before. It was after Jesus' resurrection. And it's such a cool story and so unique that Jesus comes and meets with two guys walking on the road to Emmaus. It's about a seven-mile journey from where they were. And they're talking to each other, and Jesus kind of interrupts their conversation. And look at what happens. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus. It was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding and with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas said, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? It's funny he said that to Jesus, right? And he said to them, meaning Jesus, uh, what things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus playing with them I guess. A man who was a prophet mighty indeed in deed and word before God and all the people so the two men are telling them the story of Jesus to Jesus. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and they crucified him but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes and besides all this it's now the third day since these things happened. And moreover some women of our company they amazed us they were at the tomb early in the morning and when they didn't find his body they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive some of those who were with us went to the tomb and they found it just as the women had said but him they did not see and jesus said to them oh, foolish ones slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into His glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, He interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. We have the story of God. We have been given the truth from beginning to end. So we have the responsibility to know the truth that is revealed to us in the Scriptures. See, they had the story, the two men on the road, but Jesus retold them the story, beginning from Moses going all the way through the prophets and the messages that they had brought. And through it all, through God recounting the Scriptures, He showed Himself in it all. For we know that in the grand story of God, the lead and most important player is Jesus Christ Himself. So as we read the Bible this year, as you go through books of the Bible, maybe you have decided to read through it all in in the year, and that would be an awesome thing to do. Perhaps you'll remember that it's often good to see how he orders it from beginning to end to give you a better understanding of the bigger picture. We need to always bring the story of God, the story of the Bible, back to Jesus. There's lots of details in there. There's lots of things that we can get sidetracked with. It's all truth and it's all good for us to learn. It's all necessary for us to know and to learn. But you know what? Bring the story always back to Jesus. For as you notice through the story that I read and then going through each of those seven groupings, did you notice how at the very end it said the promise of redemption was preserved? Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of that promise. He is the peace and the hope. It's what we need, but it's also what the world needs. Jesus showed the men on the road the truth using the Scriptures, and He told them the whole story. Using the Scriptures, He told them the whole story. So you know what? Throughout the year, go back every day to the Scriptures, Go back and remember the great story of God. Remember what it is that God has led us to understand and believe about Himself and about us. Would you do that this year? Would you commit to be in God's Word? As Jesus did, He showed them, little by little, as they walked seven miles. How long does it take to walk seven miles? He told them a lot. He told them a lot. It took more than just a half an hour. He told them the whole story from Moses through the prophets, but he showed in it all how he was the central figure and he was the promise. They should have known it, he said. But we have the truth now. What is our responsibility? What will be our test? And will we pass that test by accepting the free gift of salvation that he has to offer? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the amazing story that you have laid out for us. Thank you also that we get to play a part in that story. God, help us to remember that each time we read a passage or a verse of Scripture, that we would see how you are applying it to us and to our lives. Thank you, God, that we now live in that age of grace where we can come before you and ask for forgiveness of our sins. And you are faithful and just to forgive, that you call people back to repentance. But God, you are so good even when we stumble and fall. You are there to lift us up time and again. But we also thank you for giving us the end of the story. That it gives us hope and not fear. Because we know that you win. And we know that alongside of you, we will be able to see how you unfold the amazing story of the millennial kingdom and how you will continue to be gracious to allow there to be an opportunity for redemption. God, thank you for redeeming us. As we sang earlier, you alone can rescue, and you alone can save. But God, help us to live out that story, to tell that story over and over, and to show people Jesus Christ, the one whom the whole story centers around. It's in His name that we pray. Amen. In just a moment, bye.